And so as we contemplate the boundaries of our planet, or what used to be limits to growth, and at the same time of another concerning IPC report this week, we say vale to Will Stephan of the ANU, who did so much to foster sense and progress. Here he is on the Science Show last year when Carbon, the film, was released. Given my original training, I started life as a chemist. I love the way that the chemistry of carbon, and even before they talk about climate change, brilliant communication. All those valences it's got. <laughs> yes, that's right. And all the different combinations, it, all the things it can combine with and the different molecules it can form. And of course, that comes through really clearly in the movie. But they do it in such an engaging way that you don't even have to know chemistry to sort of get how this atom operates. I remember when I studied chemistry at university in London and organic chemistry, you've got a whole field of chemistry based on carbon. And, and when you work out what the rules are, you can construct, imagine your own molecules. That's right. And of course, uh, one of the nice things about carbon, I think this old chemist called Kekulé was the guy who worked out the benzene, the six carbon ring. And apparently he was on drugs or something and he was hallucinating with this carbon chain that went around and bit its tail and said, ah, that's it. <laughs> uh, so of course, that sort of carbon chemistry is absolutely essential for life. And one thing that you have focused on particularly is the ways in which there are limits to the way that nature can really expand, that there are limits to, for instance, what can exist on a planet. Yes, absolutely. There are limits to what the chemistry can do. There are limits to the atmosphere, how far up you can breathe, how many gases can be contained in the atmosphere because of gravity and so on. But the point is, I think what you're probably getting at is that the Earth itself is a single system. So that's really where the systemic limits come in. So a lot of my work is now involved on the Earth as a system even bigger than climate change, because that's what we really have to understand. And we use the term complex system not to mean complicated, but complex means a system can exist in a well-defined state. And if you push it hard enough, it'll flip to another state. It won't stop in between. And that's our concern that that sort of dynamics could be possible with climate change. Reminds me to some extent of Gaia, because <laughs> the old Gaia idea was, yes, the Earth might flip and there'll be a different state, but we wouldn't be in it. Well, yes. In fact, Earth system science, in a way, owes a lot of its origins to Gaia. I mean, it goes back before that to a Russian geochemist named Vladimir Vernadsky, who was the first one says, wait a minute, the biosphere actually exerts some control over the geosphere. It isn't a one-way thing. This was back in the 1920s. But it was really Gaia and James Lovelock who reinvented it, I think, in a very profound way. Challenging to scientists, very controversial. But now I think the more mature feel of Earth system science has really justified what he is all about in terms of Gaia. The point is, the Earth can exist in several different states. We can see it in the geological past. Many of them are not very conducive for human well-being. And that's the thing we have to worry about now. Yeah. In terms of this tipping point, one has to say it. In your measurements and your colleagues, how close are we? Okay, I think there's a range we're looking at now. My view is that if we push the temperature rise up to three degrees, there's a very high probability that we will have already pushed some tipping points. It won't stop at three. It'll go hotter than that. I think if we stay under 1.5, there's a low probability that we're going to hit some. We might hit a couple. I think Arctic sea ice will be gone, but we may stop the dominoes from tipping all the way over. So there's this very interesting area between 1.5 and 3 where the risk escalates. But the more I'm reading, the more I'm concerned that it's closer to 1.5. Just a paper published a week or two ago looking at the Amazon forest. It does recover, 
but its recovery rate is slower and slower from its perturbations. That's a classic warning sign that you're approaching a tipping point. And there's going to be a lot of carbon goes up if that force goes. So I think anything above 1.5, we're just going into increasingly dangerous territory. When I started in the tipping point business, which was probably 25 years ago, the rule of thumb there was you're pretty safe till three or four degrees. That's out the window now. The more we learn, the more we see. We're really at risk at much lower temperatures of changing big parts of the Earth system, the big ice sheets. North Atlantic circulation is slowing down. Permafrost is already starting to melt. And when you see the early warning signs of those tipping points, that really is cause for concern that if we underestimate where those lie, we will have done a great disservice. We will have given false security to people when, in fact, the situation's more dangerous than we earlier predicted. How do you keep going then, Will? We have to do more than technology. We have to change the way we think. We have to change our value systems, change social organizations. But if you look at it in a positive way, we're in a pretty crappy society at the moment now, and it might not be a bad thing to tip into something else, get a bit of turmoil, get a bit of thought going on. But the point is, if you do that, if you sort of disrupt societies, you've got to already have something emerging, stable, that's attractive, and it's safer than the society we have now. And I'm not sure we've got that yet. The late Will Stephan on The Science Show last year. With me is Susanna Elliott, who's the chief executive of the Australian Science Media Centre. You were with him in Sweden about 20 years ago or more. What took you there? Oh, yes, I went to Sweden to join Will and others at the International Geosphere Biosphere Program, which was located in the Academy of Sciences there, the same building where they choose the Nobel Prizes. Interesting. And what was he like back then? As even and, well, relaxed as he seemed when we were talking to him all that time ago? Yes, he was a fantastic boss. I wouldn't say relaxed because everybody at that stage was actually quite anxious about what was happening. And, you know, you have to think what we were trying to do was to not only understand how the globe was changing over time, but to convey that to the rest of the world. And it was a a slow and difficult process. At that stage, was it uh, about 25 years ago? Was he different in style? And had he become famous then already? I don't think it was. It was certainly famous in the scientific community because he had this incredible ability to bring people together. So he was very well known as the director of IGBP, the International Geosphere Biosphere Programme. So, yes, look, he was well-known, but he wasn't a big person in the media at that stage. He hadn't done a lot of media work at that point, but he was a natural. Mm, A natural, and he came to Australia and uh, had tremendous influence and is working, as you heard just before, on what they call then boundaries, how the the planet has boundaries. And uh, we also talk about uh, tipping points where limits to all sorts of other things. Were boundaries accepted at the time when he talked about them? Definitely. That was a, a main topic of conversation for all of us, actually. And you have to think that IGBP was this global network of about 10,000 scientists from all around the world, all trying to work together across disciplines and across countries. And so it was a big job to try and bring this amazing group of people together, which Will did so brilliantly. And that was really clearly one of the big things that they were talking about and trying to work out, okay, we've got this incredible acceleration happening in terms of human activity from the 1950s. And you can see it in just about everything, whether it's number of McDonald's restaurants or the number of mobile phones. There's just so many different things going on. And the key thing is, okay, well, it can't just keep going. 
we're going to hit some tipping points somewhere. And it doesn't matter what you're looking at, all of these things that are accelerating and, you know, changing over time, they're going to hit tipping points. And then we often talked about it as uncharted territory. We don't know what happens once you hit those tipping points. You can kind of guess, but nobody knows for sure. And so there was always this feeling like, you know, in, in any area that you look at, once you hit, hit a tipping point, who knows what's going to happen? And that was what they were trying to work out. And he was arguing the case, but he didn't seem to me ever to lose his cool. That what amazed me. Did do you ever see him lose his temper at all? <laughs> no, actually, I don't think I did. I don't think I did see him lose his cool. I mean, I did see him get frustrated and annoyed. And privately, you know, he would express annoyance at the lack of understanding and the slow pace of change. So there's no doubt he got annoyed, but I never saw him lose his cool, not once. Maybe one of his secrets was the amazing affinity he had with uh, climbing and Himalayas and tall mountains. He actually wrote a book about them, didn't he? <laughs> yes, yeah, no, that was... Um, Will was a very physically active person. And so wherever he was, I remember him in Sweden, you know, he'd come into work with his ice picks over his shoulder which you'd have to use when you were skating across the ice in case you fell into the water and these picks would help you save your life you know and he was he was always doing that kind of stuff gosh we'll miss him won't we oh absolutely he is an amazing person and somebody who'll be who is very sorely missed by the scientific community and by the public i think and by the media journalists loved him he was such a good communicator Suzanne Elliott in Adelaide, where she's CEO of the Science Media Centre. The late Professor Will Steffen was founding director of the Climate Change Institute at the Australian National University.